All right. So today uh, we're going to be in, we're going to be in three primary scriptures, and so I want you to uh, uh, to get ready with me by turning to Psalm 37, or if you want to look that up on your phone or computer, what have you, we will take a look at that together. Um, there have um, there been a lot of situations that that um, I've gone I've gone through personally um, my life as a family in different different ways or if you think even outside of uh, we've all probably faced some of this kind of stuff but outside of our own personal lives there's also just the aspect of our world in general this thought and we've brought this up thematically if you will over the last month in different ways is this aspect of God making things right. God's righteousness, when you hear that word righteousness, I want to encourage you to think about it as God writing things. Okay, God is the one who is the will bring things together. He is the one who is the healer. He is the one that will take what's broken and put it back together. He is the one who is the God of justice. His righteousness, his ability to make things right, is what we're going to talk about today. This aspect of God's righteousness, this aspect of of God's justice. And I've just felt led to this today, just this aspect of what do we do, what do you do when things are not right? And we've talked about that and some of the things we've run into, but there's some really key passages that I want to look at about God's justice. And and let's kind of tackle that together today. So in Psalm 37, we have a, a key passage about God making things right. Um, and before I get I get too far with this, I kind of want us to to bring this down to our level before we address Scripture. What are some things that you can think of right now that are just not not right? Maybe it's in our nation, maybe it's in our world, maybe it's just in your own life that there's just an injustice, something's wrong, something's out of whack, out of place, it's not right. All the hate and division that we see every day if you read the paper or watch TV or, I mean, it's, it's just, it's overwhelming unless you can say, I know God is in control. But it is overwhelming. Your, your humanness comes in, and it's almost like you feel like, I mean, why why is God letting all of this, the, ma- the massacres that happen, the, the shootings? And, I mean, but then I have to always go back and say, God, I know you're in control. I don't understand it, yeah. but I know you're in control. But it, it's very overwhelming to me. It's very overwhelming. I mean, I'm 70. I've seen, you know, a lot of stuff you know, in my lifetime. Um, but, I mean, this is just, I mean, it's very overwhelming. It's yeah. like just every the fear that people have. and I mean, I, it's very overwhelming. But I have God, so I know God will work it all out, and I don't have to understand it. Well, that's a good perspective. It takes, depending on the cir- circumstance, I think it takes... Uh, it can take a lot of time to get there. I'm not there yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, 
But but the faith that you're holding on right. to, you know, the strength that you're that you're clinging you would go to. Crazy. I mean, you would just. I mean, you would you would just lose your. I mean, I don't understand what you would do if you didn't have that hope. I really don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, most of the country doesn't. Which is the explanation for so much of it. Yeah. But I mean, this is not this is not a godly country. These are not. I don't think these are God's chosen people. I think people choose God, you know, and God chose everybody. But, you know, it's not like, you know, we're the Israelites and, you know, preordained for greatness. I, I think to some degree uh, the, the situation that we find ourselves in is, is one of our making and one that, you know, our politicians have allowed to to, to sort of fester and grow. Um, uh, you know, I, I think my my faith in God is for is for my salvation. I don't uh, I don't know that I think He is. I, I'll say the politicians are not seeking Him when 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 they seek the right answer. Um, so, as I've, I mean, I've seen the country go up and down and up and down, and to the extent to go well, I don't know that you know. God's driving this. You know, if God was driving this, you'd think it would just... But if you believe in God's sovereignty, doesn't everything... I mean, isn't everything that happens, it's either by God or through God? No. 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 I don't don't believe that. I think God can bring good from any situation that occurs, but I don't think that he creates the chaos that's there. He's a God of order. And this world is fallen, Mm -hmm. and the enemy is in control of this world right now and guiding and driving the forces that are there. I mean, in addition to the hate, I've been thinking a lot lately about just the appetite that exists in this country for pornography and um, prostitution and how much attention is being drawn to the sex trafficking industry. And these young girls are getting pulled into it either against their will or or of their own volition, but then get trapped in it. And then when people are making arrests, the laws are such that there are harsh enough penalties and these guys are getting slapped on the wrists mm-hmm. and going right back out. And it goes back to the politicians and the corruption that exists on such high levels that, that laws for harsher penalties won't get enforced. And I don't believe God would ever be in guiding a child I'm, I'm not that. saying that, but I'm saying, what about his sovereignty? Where does that come in? When the, I think that's where we're going to talk about righteousness and the and the ultimate the ultimate result of God coming back and and restoring everything to its original intent. Yeah, he will he will come and restore order and maintain control, but uh, you know. But, but that's sort of prophetic that that he he has to re, he has to come and return to regain um, to restore order. In the meantime, uh, Satan controls this world. Where the mustard seed is trying to trying right. to affect change, that's one little little area at a time. It's messy. Yeah. What's well, it's interesting because <clears throat> we could continue to bring up different areas of injustice and things. Well, let's take, let's take a look at what, let's look at some scriptures. So in Psalm 37, this entire psalm, I'm not sure how far we'll go through it, because but so much stuff in here, we might just read the whole thing, but 
It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Um, and uh, first of all, this is a psalm of David. I you to consider David for a second. David was anointed to be king at the same time Saul was already king, but God had, had turned from Saul because Saul was not putting God in his rightful place, was choosing to do things his own way. And so David was anointed. David was a man that says he had a heart after God. Uh, he was after God's own heart. Even in his mistakes and whatnot, there was, a, there was a key difference between these two men. But there was a point before David was officially king that David was on the run. David was being hunted down by Saul. And, and you're like, well, if this is from you, God, if I'm supposed to be king, why am I on the run? Why am I in fear for my life? Why am I hiding in caves? What's, you know, it was a very unjust situation because David had clearly not done anything wrong. David was this, basically this lowly shepherd who was you know, taking care of sheep and got thrust into this kind of position, if you will, and he's on the run. And so this is a psalm of David, I think, that helps to keep with the perspective. But he says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. It says, Do not, uh, be not envious of wrongdoers. And there's that sense of envy that it seems like these guys, you know, you ever just sometimes there's this mentality, just give up and join, join the other side because they're just going to win anyway. You know, what, what good does righteousness have? What good does it mean to be on, on the right side of things? Because evil always seems to prevail. Well, yeah, yeah. In, in addition to that, I, you know, we, we often ask, you know, why do good things or bad things happen to good people? But then the flip side of that is we go, well, why does it seem like good things happen to bad people? They just prosper and prosper. Yeah. Right. And, and that, that, that I think is more frustrating than anything. We can look at the first part and go, oh, I live in a fallen world, life's tough. You know, but then when you see bad people, um, so, I mean, like, this kind of strikes me because you see some people out there successful in spite of themselves and in spite of being pretty wicked, uh, you know, gangsters and stuff. Yeah. People are still getting their bonuses. Yeah. You know, when we all suffer. That's right. Well, it continues and it says, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And then it says, trust in the Lord, which is always going to be key, as you said earlier, that aspect of trust, that aspect of faith in the Lord and what he's doing. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. In the midst of it all, the, 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 what God is telling us to do is to trust him and to be faithful. In the midst of that angst, in the midst of that struggle of all this crap that surrounds us, still trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and be friend faithfulness. Which is interesting because you've got David here who had, I believe, two different opportunities to take Saul's life. You know, Saul wanders into a cave that David's hiding in with his mighty men to take a leak, and he come up behind him and just cut off a piece of his robe and say, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And he had the opportunity, you know. Uh, Saul was asleep in this camp, in this area, and David could have taken his life then. The spear was right there, could have just gone right, right through him and be done with it. But he didn't do that, which is interesting, because we're going to look at another passage later on. Because there's this tendency that we want to make things right ourselves. There's this tendency to rely upon our 
righteousness rather than God's rightness, if you will. We're, we're going to get to that. But he says, he says this, though, trust in the Lord and do good. You know, it's, I read a good illustration yesterday about, about doing a crossword puzzle. And there are some things about God that we don't understand, and it's kind of similar to a crossword puzzle. It's like, okay, I know what this word is. How do you figure out a crossword puzzle? I know what this word is. I know what this word is. But the in-between doesn't quite make sense. I can't figure out what this is. I see a few of the letters. And, but you trust that whoever put the crossword puzzle together knew what they were doing. Somehow it's going to fit. Somehow things are going to come together. Somehow things are going to make sense. And when it comes to understanding this aspect, I believe, of injustice and righteousness and how things are going to be made right, there's this aspect that we do have to trust God. We have to trust the one who's put things together and, and know that it's going to work out. How is he going to do it? We, I'm not sure, but I know the heart of God because I see over here his righteousness. I, I see over here his love. I see his, his um, you know, he was willing to die to give up his very life. You know, so I see those things and know that this is the kind of God that we serve. We serve a loving God. We serve a righteous God. How does this fit? I don't know, but I'm trusting in the heart and trusting in the character of who God is. So he says, trust him. And then it says this. This is interesting. In verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And people have taken that different ways in the context of justice. I, I think that takes on an interesting meaning. You know, what what does our heart really want? We want justice. We want righteousness. We want this is not a verse. I, I believe that's saying if you if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll just give you everything you want. I believe it's more this idea that if we delight in the Lord, that He will He will change our heart. He will curb our heart to desire what He desires. Because we don't always desire what God desires. For us, justice means justice right now. It means taking Saul's life. That's justice. The only, the only resolve that we can see from our human vantage point is death, or is this, or is pounding our fist on the table. It's this kind of answer to the problem. This is how it should be. But we have to trust. It always goes back to trust. And it says this in verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord. Our way is how we think, how we do, how we act. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Again, there's that word. And He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. There's a part of, of justice that people have no idea what's actually going on. There are parts of that in my life that I'm struggling with right now that it's like people think your reputation is one way, but the truth is, is something entirely different. And this is, this is, you know, imagine the perspective that's going on here with David and with Saul. David's mighty men hang around with David. They know his heart. They know what David's all about. Then you have people on Saul's side, Saul's camp, that are saying, well, who is this guy, David, that's trying to be king? Who does he think he is? Saul's king. you know. And if David's really the man that God's called him to be, why is he running around hiding in caves? And you, know, you can always see those two different perspectives back and forth. 
And so if you're hanging around with Saul's camp, all you hear is what Saul has to say. You hear the side of, of, of wickedness, quite honestly, but you you know the way, but and one voice says this, and yeah, 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 that's right, yeah, that's right. You ever seen that? It's like, kind of like this group think that you get around and everybody starts to agree with no matter what it is, even though it could be completely and entirely wrong. So the reputation gets out there about David from the people that listen to Saul who happens to have the power because he's over the kingdom at this point. So how in the world is David ever going to become king? How is David ever going to get to the point that he's ruling the way that he, he needs to be ruling? But God says here, God promises, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. And your justice, I love it, as the noon day. There's nothing, there's no other time, I believe, right, that's, that's brighter than noon. It's when the sun's directly overhead. God says, I'm looking after you. You can trust in me. I'm looking after your righteousness that, by the way, is only found in me. And he says this in verse 7, Be still before the Lord and, this is hard, wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So we're told to trust, we're told to be patient, and not to fret over over the aspect of evil appearing as if it's winning, evil persisting over the man who carries out evil devices. We, we don't get it, we don't understand it, but it says to continue to trust and to fret not. Refrain from anger, it says in verse 8, and forsake wrath. Why do you back away from anger? Why do you? Because we, you know, we want to take things in our own hands, right? We want to mete out what people actually deserve. We want to take justice in our hands. Okay? But it says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. Because what? It says it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall what? Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Now I want to interject some things here. We're going to look at some more, but just some thoughts to consider. First of all, I believe that God is the only one who is fit to judge. What do you think I'm basing that on? Why is God the only one that's fit to judge? He only knows your heart. Love. So when he judges, he judges out of love. And, and without sin. I think that's a key point right there. You know, he's the only one that can cast the first stone and, and condemn anybody else because he speaks from that point of above reproach. So. 
If you, if you need someone to judge a situation, you have to have someone that's above the situation. You have to have someone that's, as you said, pure, without sin, all-powerful, above it all. I think the other part of it is that he doesn't have to hear testimony and hear this person's version versus this person's version and decide mm. what's true based on human accounts because he knows the truth of every matter, every little detail. You can't hide anything from it. I agree. So God is the only one fit to judge. Let's skip through a little bit of Psalm 37 just because we don't have time to go through all of it. However, I would encourage you to, to read it and meditate it, meditate on it this week. But in verse, we're going to go all the way down to verse 23. Um, well, don't skip 12 and 13. Yeah, I know it's, the whole thing's good. We might just need to stay here. I don't know. Let's read a verse 11. Um, where was I at? Just well, yeah. Verse 10, we'll go back to verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I like that. It's the meek who inherit the land. It's not the warrior. It's not the wrathful, vengeant person. It's the meek that inherit the land. And delight themselves in abundant peace. Which is so interesting because we feel like, especially me being from New York, I have this, this tendency, but, but, but just America, I think, in general does, to some regard. We will not be walked over. We cannot, you know what I'm saying? Don't tread on us. Yeah, don't, don't tread on us, right? That's our South Carolina thing with the, the snake yeah, thing, you know? Is, isn't that? No. No, I think it's a might even go. Is it a military? Whatever it is, the the point's out there. Don't yeah, don't tread on me. You know, don't don't step on me because why? What's a snake going to do if you step? He's going to bite, and you are going to pay dearly. You know, there's that mentality, but it doesn't say that. it says the meek shall inherit the land. Why is it good for someone that's meek to inherit the land? Why is it good for someone that's meek to be in power, so to say? Well, I mean, my take on this is, mm -hmm. you know, when does the meek inherit the land? It, it, this is post-Jesus' return. I'm, I mean, I, the, um, maybe so. Yeah, I know. I mean, and mm -hmm. you know, everybody will free to disagree. But I mean, you know, when, when do I think the meek inherit the land? This is when, when God's purpose for this earth has been restored. And, and it's restored to paradise um, because the wicked aren't going anywhere right now and, and you know that's why I, I didn't want you to skip 13 it says but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming and I, to me I think that is a global day that is the day for all wicked and the day for, for all man um, I agree and there is there is that day, but at the same time too, and this is what we struggle with with this is that there are times though that God decides to act sooner in some situations. Sure. I mean David had his day. 
David had his day. In the scripture that talks about, I mean, God puts into king, and God puts the king in who he wants to and takes him out when he wants. I mean, it's like, who are we to say that there won't be that, you know, the meek inheriting or the peace or whatever until Jesus comes back? I mean, there may be periods of time where there is peace, you know, not the not the total perfect peace when Jesus comes back. But I'm saying, right. we don't know. We right. don't know God's plan. And I think, to Eric's point, the only clear thing we know for certain, according to Scripture that it is clear about, is that that end time. Right. You know, we know that. Right. The other we don't. We, we don't. And so the in, we always struggle with the in-between. You know, it's the now and not yet kind of period that we're in. And so... The answer to all this is always going to be trusting in the Lord, realizing who's really in control. But there are times that God does intervene, where he does bring justice sooner than we might think. Uh, you know, there are, just in my personal experience as of late, you know, there's been some justice that's taken place, and, and, uh, and people are celebrating that right now that I know of because... Uh, an environment and a workplace has changed entirely, um, and there's there's some justice that's taking place, a little taste of justice, if you will. Um, God does bring that from time to time, but the problem is we don't know why or when. You Do know, you think we, any of that depends on on how we live our lives here as Christians? I think it does. I think it does. Let's let's. See if there's an answer in Psalm. I think there's some stuff here that kind of addresses some of that. Um, but it says in verse 12, uh, just to continue through, uh, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord, as uh, you just read this, right, the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows and bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their, short, their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. I want to stop there for a second. This isn't, I don't think this is just referring to things. You know, we have a tendency to think about things and money and what this person has, but this is bigger than that. You know, to be able to have the truth on your side, to be able to have integrity on your side, uh, is is even more valuable than what the wicked might think that they have. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they will have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish, and like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. And I like this particular passage in 23 and 24. It says, The steps of a man are established 
by the Lord when he delights in his way. When your delight is in the Lord, God will guide your steps. It says, though he fall, and I like this, he shall not be cast headlong. It's like you might stumble, but you're not going to fall, fall. You might, you might bump here and there and get hurt, but you're not going to fall headlong. It says, for the Lord upholds his hand. I've been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so you so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of what? For the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Let's look at these last couple of verses. The salvation of the righteous is from what? The Lord. Not who? What's that? Not man. Not ourselves. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It's not from ourselves. It's not something we take into our own hands. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because why? They take refuge in Him. The real question is, what is real justice? Are we looking for justice where... People around us say, yeah, that's right. Or are, we, or are we concerned about what God has to think? And somehow we seem to elevate people over God all the time. Do we want justice from people or justice from God? Do we care what people think or do we care what God thinks? Because the one true judge knows the truth, knows it all. It's more, is it more important that everyone else seems to think the same way, you know, or that, that God knows the truth. And that's, that's a, a difficult thing to live with sometimes because there's a, long, there's a long hold until the rest of the world sees the justice that God's about to deliver. Maybe, maybe not. The time frame is a difficult thing to deal with. But I want you to consider something. Here's another thought that I wrote down. First of all, God's the only one fit to judge. We discussed that. The other thing is, is that God is the only one who can heal two wrongs, possibly, and somehow make them right. 
He's the only one that can heal the front and the back side of an issue. You know, I think about like Palestine and Israel, for example. You know, this is something that has been going on for years and years and years and goes all the way back to the Old Testament. To the point that people grow up on both sides hating the other. Palestine hates Jerusalem, or, you know, the Jews and the Jews hate the Palestinians or the Israelites and so on, back and forth. And they grow up in that hate and it's, they don't even completely know why they hate each other, but they hate each other. And this cycle just continues to perpetuate itself over and over. God is the only one, I believe, that can sort through all that and bring a justice in the end that, that truly makes all things right. We look at something and we're like, how, how, does this, how is this going to ever fit? How is this ever going to work? The only one who can really do that is God. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 12. I want to read all of this because it gives context. I'm just going to go through it quickly and we'll, we'll slow down where we hit this, the aspect of justice and righteousness. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, there's this appeal that Paul gives to Christians to live a certain way. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. All you are essentially a sacrifice to God, that your life belongs to him and not yourself. If you're living for him and not yourself, that's a, a different way to live. Holy, he says, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You want to know how to worship God? It goes much beyond singing music on Sunday morning, showing up at a worship service. It actually involves the life that we live is a life of worship to him. And we have a choice daily, are we going to worship God or are we going to worship ourselves? And that might sound extreme, but essentially what it boils down to, to worship ourselves is to do things our way, to worship God is to do things His way. Our life should be an expression of worship. Worship, the actual word, if you break it down, is worth. Worth. Who are we offering worth to? Worship to God is His worth where we're aiming or our worth. So a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. And that's key. Don't be fit into the mold of what this world does. The system of the world is messed up. The way the world treats each other is messed up. The world does not understand true love because that is a gift from God. That is a miraculous thing that comes from Him. The world acts a certain way. The world knows hate. The world knows sin. The world knows destruction. It, that's what it knows. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The mind has to be renewed because we've grown up in this worldly system. The way that we think has to be different. It has to be based on what God says rather than what the world says. That by testing, it says, this is interesting, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable 
and perfect. Part of being transformed, part of having your mind renewed, is that you're going to undergo testing. What's the point of a renewed mind, point of a renewed, renewed life, if, if it's not ever tested? You're not actually living it. You're going to run into situation after situation where you have to exhibit worship of God, transform living, transform thinking, and that, you know what, now that God's plan for the church is that you would be, you know, there's a sea of darkness, and he's, he throws out a, a, a ball of light into it. That only works when we are living transformed, when we are living lives that are of worship to him. And so we, we enter this area, we enter this arena as people that, that, are, that are separate from the system, that are bringing light to the world because of Christ. We're living a transformed life and we will be tested. We have this mentality, we have to be tested. If, if, if we're doing anything good, there's friction Evil does not want good. It wants to push it away. The darkness wants to close up the light. It wants to swallow it alive in every conceivable way. We will face trials. So a renewed mind, a transformed life, if you will, we discern what God's will is and we, we live it out. There's going to be testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I'm going to have to, for sake of time, go a little further into Romans 12. And let's go down to verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. It's got to be real. Because if it's not, it's, it's watered down, it's messed up, it's not effective, right? Only real love is effective because people see straight through stuff that's not. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in what? Tribulation. In tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He's saying this is, uh, my title is appropriately named for this little passage is Marks of a True Christian. This is what it looks like, Paul is saying. If you're going to sacrifice yourself to be a living sacrifice and, and worship to God, this is what it looks like. Genuine love, outdoing one another and showing honor, being fervent in spirit, in being doing all these things, being patient in tribulation. And he says this in verse 14, this is where it gets even harder. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. That's completely different than the system of the world. The world says, persecute those who persecute you. Hate those who hate you. Get even with those who have hurt you. But here it says, bless those who persecute you. That's throwing the ball of light again into that, that sea of darkness. Blessing instead of persecuting. Bless those who persecute you, love, and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. 
This is the justice issue we're talking about. Repay no one evil for evil. But we think that's what they're due, right? That's the old system. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, I like that clause. Because let's be realistic here, right? This is where the Bible is very practical. If possible, so far as it depends on you. That's key. That's the whole prayer, the serenity prayer, if you've ever heard that before. Where it's considering the things, realize the things you can't, the things you can control and the things that you cannot control. So think about as far as it depends on you, things you know that are that are possible for you to do, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The question that we have to, or the the thing we need to be aware of here is that the one who judges, the one who gets even, the one who takes it into his hands to do something, is not us. Vengeance is not our job. Because vengeance needs to come from the actual judge. The one who knows every heart, every motive, every situation. God says, this is my job. You're not, your job is not to be vengeful. Your job is to love. Your job is to have genuine love, outdo others in showing honor, blessing those who persecute you. That's your job. My job is to, be, is to introduce vengeance when the time comes. If you read the Old Testament, God would judge a nation, but there were times where he would say, the, it's not time yet. We're going to get to that in a second. He said that the, the sins of, of this particular nation have not been filled up yet to the cup, if you will. Look at that. Interesting. Not yet. Closer. Almost there. Ready. Maybe we flip that around. Um, the time hasn't come yet. Like, what do you mean by that? God is the one who exacts vengeance, not us. We have a different job. So it says this, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy, and this is like, you would like to clip this out like a Thomas Jefferson Bible and just keep the parts you don't want, or you do want, right? To the contrary, it says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This is just a repetition, a repetition of what we see Jesus say. Someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Someone says, I want you to walk with me a mile. As he's talking about Roman soldiers, you walk with them two miles. Someone wants your, your you know, cloak, you give them the clothes off your back. That's against, don't tread on me. That, that, this, to us, that sounds like abuse. All I know is that it says that our job is to love, our job is to bless those who persecute, and that he, his job is to do the vengeance. Because he knows the timing of that too. And he says, so to the contrary, if he's hungry, feed him with thirsty, give him some to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. And this is key. This is really, really key. Do not... 
Do not be overcome by evil. We could have a discussion about that for the next two hours. But overcome evil with good. How do you overcome evil? It doesn't say you overcome evil with more evil. You overcome evil with good. It's bringing more light to the darkness. Do not be overcome by evil. Being overcome by evil, I think, too, is, is engaging in it itself. Choosing to do things the world's ways. Choosing to allow our mind to be captivated and overcome with vengeance rather than having the mind of Christ, having being that living sacrifice. And that's it's very easy for us to fall into that. Because there is so much evil around us in the world, or maybe even in our own personal lives, there's stuff that we've encountered. You know, if you, you look at our our scenario, you could point out things, but I get a publication that I get once a month or, or even more frequently from other Christians around the world that are literally being, you know, threatened by their life, with their very life, to follow Christ, to, you know, whatever the, the scenarios that they're in. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I, I want you to think about this. Uh, There is, make sure I have the right passage here. There are times where it feels like, well, well God, you're not doing anything. And so we have those moments where we begin to lose faith. We, we begin to lose trust. I want, to, I want to take a look at a passage that, that begins to address that. And it's in 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to understand God's perspective a little bit. Uh, what? My fingers are not working. First Peter. God. This is second Peter. Yes. Yeah. Um, me just a second here. Okay. Yeah. Let's take it. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight. So in this passage it says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And as a thousand and a thousand years is as one day. God is God sees time differently than we do. 
created time, he experiences it differently. He's really, really above it. It's hard for us to comprehend. Going to look backwards and see what's happened. And so keep that in mind, he says. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Because that's our accusation to God. Well, God, you're just slow in doing anything about this. This has been going on for too long, and this is happening over here, and this is happening over here, and in my life this is happening here. And what, When are you going to make things right? That's the accusation. That's the, that's the being real moment that we have with God. And you see that even with David. You see the Psalms. Psalms are great because David's angry at God. God could handle it, by the way. But we have to realize that, that God is above time. He says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. And this is the reason why. This is why God is, is so patient. Okay, This is why he's so, quote, slow, as we would put it. He says, but is, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is the Lord so slow to bring wrath? Why is the Lord so... So patient, if you will, we would count it as slowness. It's actually not him being slow. It's him being patient with people to the nth degree that we would say do no, that no longer need patience. Or this person is not going to change. But he says he is, he is truly extending grace to the furthest reaches for people. To give them every opportunity under the sun to turn to him. And he is doing it not to punish us, but to allow more and more and more time for people to accept grace. For people to accept, accept his love. I mean... God himself came down and died so that he could have a relationship with people to make things right. So when you understand and consider the amount of love that he has for people, you can understand why he is so slow to act. But his slowness, as we might perceive it, is out of his grace or that person that you have in your mind, or that situation that you have in your mind, that you know that person deserves judgment. You know that person deserves vengeance. God is still holding out time for that individual to change and to turn to Him. That's what He says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Because repentance is healing. Repentance is change. Repentance is the very kingdom of God because when you turn to God, you understand and know what real life is, what real love is. And, and that aspect of repentance, that aspect of turning begins to heal everything. On both sides. God's justice is, is, is meted out in that way. He removes every, every accusation this way. 
by God saying, I have given you every opportunity. I think about Diane and discussions with her with, with people that she has at work that, that there are people that in, in any other job that wasn't a state job would, would probably be fired a long time ago. But she is in a situation where she is forced to give every opportunity to the point of it, it would seem ridiculousness. This person still has their job. They should have been fired 10 years ago. They, they haven't produced this. They haven't produced that. You know, and, and, and it's, you know, it's the state government. I'm not saying they're extending grace. I think it's a little bit crazy. But, but that kind of mentality is going on. And so Diane is forced to, to think, what other way can I get this person's attention? What other way will they finally see? Will they finally be productive? Will they finally latch on to the system? Will they finally kind of understand the life that is the State Department of Insurance? When will they see it? When will they get it? Do you know if anyone actually is fired at the State Department of Insurance, they've had every opportunity. There's 10 years or 20 years of records where we have talked to you and we have tried to get you to turn. We've tried to get you to change. There's nothing left. Because God is righteous. He is a perfect judge. But on the other side, those of us that have been working hard all along are just like, I don't get it. Why isn't this person fired? I'm having to pick up their slack. I'm having to do all this kind of work. There is a huge injustice here. This person is getting paid this amount, and they don't do squat. But then we take that mentality back, and, 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 and we, we start to see these other stories in Scripture where it's like, are, you, are we going to be mad at the generosity and grace of God? I'm not going to be mad at the generosity and the grace of God. Every one of us needs it. But there, there, there is an end. It says, but the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, it says, and this is in verse 10, and the... Then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. They'll be laid bare. Since all these things are, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? God will make things right. But let's allow him to be the God that he is. Gracious and loving God. And not at one moment worship him for it. And another moment curse him for that too. Let's trust in his justice. Let's trust in his timing and his patience for whatever it is that you're dealing with. I remember our part, our job. What's our job again? According to Romans. 
Great, you've all been paying attention. It's fabulous. <laughs> What's that? That's a great passage. Uh, I think that's. Is that Micah? Well, I but those every are right. day I yeah. read the one you talked about. Colossians, put on love, let peace rule in your heart. I, I read that every day. I just we need it every day. We did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> we need our we need our our heart and our minds in the right place so that our feet and our hands take action. Uh, we need to be reminded continually because. Let's face it, I mean, the, the injustices of life, the hurt of life, hurts to the very core of who we are. Uh, there, there are scenarios um, of injustice where we want to take vengeance in our hands. You know, we want to pull out the diehard moment, you know, Bruce Willis and, you know, uh, tear into it, or a Les, uh, Liam Nielsen movie, and you know, um, and, and we would say that's what they deserve. But, yeah, that might be what they deserve. That's the whole point of grace, is that we don't get what we deserve. And God wants everyone to get grace. Oh, Romans thirteen eighteen, where it said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Second mm-hmm. Peter three fourteen, just past where you were reading, says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So peace. 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 My favorite new song is um, that song Somebody, and it says, "Even in the valley of peace, silencing all the noise around, uh, even in all this chaos, God's right in the center." Mm-hmm. And I love that because I, I look at all this stuff going on as just chaos. Yeah. But in the midst of all of it, God's right in the center. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Let's pray and then we're going to have communion together. Lord, we we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your patience with us. And Lord, I pray that we would, uh, as Romans 12 one says, that we would offer ourselves to you as, as a living sacrifice, Lord, that that our lives are yours, that our focus is on you and not on ourselves, And in so doing, that we would love the way you love. That we would bless, as hard as it, as it is, those who persecute us. And that we trust in your plan and we trust in your timing. Lord, help us to be bringers of light and bringers of love to our community, to our nation, to our world. Help us to fulfill that calling. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue to gather around the table, it's appropriate to have communion this morning remembering what Christ has done for us. His body that was broken, His blood that was shed, 
so that we could have peace. We could have new life. We celebrate that. And today as we take communion, be mindful of, of those that are not joining in that celebration for whatever reason. And that we continue to maintain this communion. We continue to maintain this reminder because there are, there are those yet who still don't see. There are those who still don't get it. Unbelievers, certainly, and some believers even, who may not be in the place that they need to be. We are reminded of what Christ has done. That's the point. That in that reminder, we're reminded of the truth and we're encouraged to live it out. Um, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Eric, if you wouldn't mind, praying for us. And then uh, we'll just quietly hand that around and take it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, Lord. Thank you that forgiveness is ours when we come before you and ask for it, seek it. And show contrition, Lord. I'd ask that you bless everyone here, bless those that aren't able to join us today. And just uh, forgive us when we fail you, Lord. And I ask that you just bless us and, and give us that persistence to seek out um, to seek out peace and to sort of manifest that wherever possible, as opposed to uh, aggression or or hate, Lord. Again, thank you for uh, for your many blessings, Lord. Uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.